Good morning, church. Scripture reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. If you'd like to use the Black Pew Bible in front of you or behind you, you can find the passage on page 1539, 1539. It's Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. If you could please stand in honor of this reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let me pray for us once more. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We ask now for your very spirit to come and to give us understanding into your text that we might submit ourselves to what it has to say, that we might be willing to obey and obey not just in outward behavior, but from the very heart. So Lord, work in us, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Daddy, watch this. Daddy, look at me. Those are probably two of the most common phrases in my household. If you ever had a young child, you probably know exactly what I mean. I'm constantly being asked to 
to watch a little kid jump from the arm of one couch onto another and back again and back again, or I am always being asked to view a cartwheel being attempted, sometimes, sometimes getting it, but mostly, mostly not, over and over and over again, or I'm supposed to keep looking at her as she is making faces in the mirror. Daddy, look at me. Watch me. That's so natural, the children. Kids have this innate desire to, to want to be seen by their parents, to do whatever it is they do with mom or dad watching. You know, I, I think there's something very deeply, something deeply healthy and good about that particular instinct. And it's even reflected in today's passage. Last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. It ended with an exhortation to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So disciples of Jesus were reminded at the end of chapter 5 of both our status as sons and daughters of the Most High God and also of our responsibility to grow up into his likeness, to resemble his perfect love, his perfect righteousness. And now, starting in our text, in chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, we are told that everything in the Christian life is to be lived out in the sight of your Father who's in heaven. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, when you worship, when you serve, whatever it is you are to do, you're supposed to be like that child. Heavenly Father, watch this. Heavenly Father, look at me. To want to have God's eyes on you as you practice your righteousness is deeply healthy and good. But just as you know, any child can, can twist that good instinct and turn it into something self-serving, self-centered, where basically they're just showing off, Christians as well can make the same twisted mistake. We want to be seen, but it's not God's eyes we're after anymore. We want the eyes of man. There's something twisted in us that simply wants to show off. So friends, if, if you thought last week's passage, passage was difficult, well today in our passage is going to be even harder. If you thought the command to love your enemy felt like a sledgehammer to the face, well today's text is going to be like a steamroller. It's going to flatten you even more because Jesus' words here cut so deep that they expose the root motives behind our acts of righteousness, behind our acts of religious piety. What motivates you to give to the poor? What motivates you to pray or to fast? You're doing it to be seen by someone. There's no denying that impulse and really there's no need to resist it. There's only a need to direct it, to direct that impulse towards the one, the one person in the universe who matters most. But because, of course, we live in a, in a fallen world, we live in a self-absorbed, narcissistic society, all of us are also still in the flesh and we still feel the sinful effects of the fall. And because of all of that, we are prone to practicing our righteousness for the eyes and the praise of man. And that's why Jesus tells us in verse 1 of chapter 6 that we have to beware. 
Look in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. If we're not vigilant, if we're not aware, if we don't take the time to actually examine our hearts, examine our our motives, our practice of Christianity could very well be driven by a self-serving motive to simply be seen and praised by other people. And sometimes we don't even realize we're doing that. And so we're going to be covering this morning verses 1 to 18, but I will let you know up front, we are not going to be covering the Lord's Prayer in any depth. And I feel bad about that. You know, I feel bad about skimming over the Lord's Prayer. It will take a whole series, really, to do it justice. And we did just that last summer. So if, if, you, if you're interested and you want to hear more about the Lord's Prayer in depth, then you can search those sermons on our website. I, I felt like it would be better uh, use of our time today just to focus on the surrounding uh, passages around the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Prayer. So this morning, we're going to be focusing on those three acts of righteousness that Jesus mentions, uh, Christian giving, Christian prayer, and Christian fasting. And in each case, the point is similar and very simple. If you're going to give, if you're going to pray or fast, just do it. Just do it without any showiness or flashiness. Don't do it for the applause of man or even for a self-congratulatory pat on your own back. Do it for God and for his eyes only. That's the point. Now, let's look at each one of these scenarios. First, Jesus' first point in verses 2 to 4 can be put like this. If you want to follow along, look in your your bulletin. There's an outline there. The first point is this. When you give... Don't announce it, not even to yourself. Just give. Look with me in verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So here, Jesus is referring to the Christian practice of almsgiving. Almsgiving is focused on giving materially, to meet the needs of the poor, whether it's the poor in your, in your church or in your community or even just around the world. Now notice with me how Jesus simply expects his followers to be giving in this way. Right? He just simply assumes this is what his disciples do. Look back at verse 2. He says, when you give to the needy. He didn't say if you give to the needy, if that's your thing, if you're into that kind of thing. No, and it's the exact same thing in verse 5. Look in verse 5 when it says, when you pray. Now there in verse 5, that's that's not surprising for any of us, right? I think we all recognize and agree that prayer is an expectation. It's, it's, It's a norm for the Christian. So that's interesting, right? I mean, why don't we see almsgiving in the same way we see prayer? Jesus certainly did. Now, He's concerned here with our heart motives when we give to the needy, but maybe we need to stop right here, and some of us need to examine our hearts in general and just ask why why we're not even giving in this way. Maybe that's where you're being convicted, that this is not even applying to you because, because you're not doing even what Jesus basically expects 
of us as his followers, that we give to the needy. Now, some of you want to do that, and you're convicted to do that. You want to give alms, but you don't really know how to do that in a responsible manner. You're not sure if just handing a dollar to the panhandler is the most responsible thing to do. Well, then consider, consider giving, giving an offering above your normal tithe to our church and designate that offering to our church's benevolence fund. If you're not aware of what that is, we have a benevolence fund in this church that is, is used to help people in our church who have legitimate financial needs. That's one way. Or if you look on your outline, there's a whole list, not a big list, but a, a list there of some charitable organizations that are local here in town that our church partners with. Maybe you can consider giving to that organization and the good work they're doing in helping the needy. Now, For those of you who do regularly give to the needy, Jesus' point is that your generosity is not enough if your motives are poor. There are three possible motives you could have. You're either, one, giving openly to be praised by men. Two, you're giving in secret, but you're secretly applauding yourself. Or three, you're giving in secret to please your heavenly father who sees in secret. The scribes and Pharisees were definitely driven by that very first motive. They they blew their trumpets, we're told, to announce their presence, to draw everyone's eyes on them as as they they dropped their offerings into the coffers. They were literally tooting their own horns. And Jesus says in verse 2 that they did this to be praised by others. They were practicing their righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, that's really the motive that's in each of these three scenarios. Look in verse 5. The Pharisees stand and pray in the open, verse 5, that they may be seen by others. In verse 16, they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And it's really those two words, by others, that are the problem here. Like we said earlier, wanting to be seen by your Father in heaven is healthy. It's good. We were made for that. We were made to be images. We were created to be mirrors. And there's nothing wrong with a mirror wanting to be seen. That's what a mirror is for. It was created for that purpose. In the same way, there's nothing wrong with you wanting to be seen, with you wanting to have eyes on you. The only question is, whose eyes? Who do you want to be seen by? Three times Jesus speaks of your Father who sees in secret. Is that enough for you? Are his eyes enough for you? Or do you want more? Apparently the Pharisees wanted more. They wanted to be seen by others. They were putting on a performance for others. And that's why Jesus describes what they're doing as hypocrisy. He calls them outright hypocrites in verses 5 and later in verse 16. Now the Greek word there, hypocrites, it refers to an actor who's performing for an audience. In those days, they didn't have makeup artists, they didn't have special effects, and so in order to play different parts in a play, the same actor, the hypocrite, 
would put on different masks in order to, to pretend to be these various different characters. Now that's fine if you're doing that on a stage. If you're playing a part on stage, you're not trying to fool anyone. We all know you're playing a part. But if you do that in church, if you try to play a part here, to take on some religious practice like giving or prayer or fasting, and if you just put it on for theatrical display, well, then that is religious hypocrisy. You are practicing your faith, seeking the applause, the approval of others. And in so doing, you're actually wronging them. You're lying to them. You have a mask on, and you want them to think you're someone that you're not. You know, I, I think that out of concern of this particular kind of hypocrisy, many churches, including ours, have avoided the use of an offertory during a worship service, you know, where you actually have a, a collection plate coming by as, as, as you're worshiping. I mean, I, if you've been here, you've never seen a collection plate in our church. We, we have an offering box in the back of the sanctuary and just scattered around the building. Now, I agree that there's always a danger of, of fostering hypocrisy through a public act of giving like an offertory. But if you think about it, that same danger is present in any public act of righteousness like a prayer meeting or like fasting together for Lent or, you know, if the youth do a 30-hour famine event, you're doing it together. Now, if we are aware of the dangers of hypocrisy and if we are trying to, to disciple our people away from those dangers while they participate in, in that prayer meeting or in that 30-hour famine event, well, then why can't we do the same with an offertory in our worship service? Among us pastors and elders on the English side, we've actually been stewing on the idea of incorporating an offertory in this English service. Of course, yes, it could facilitate someone's hypocrisy, so we will always have to be working against that. But at the same time, an offertory could also help in, to, to recover the, the worship aspect of giving, that we are giving not just to meet um, you know, the bottom line for our budget, we are giving as an act of worship to our Heavenly Father. So I don't think Jesus' teaching here would oppose the public collection of an offering. It just opposes any hypocrisy where you do that in order to deceive others into thinking someone, that you are someone you're not. Or maybe, maybe you're even doing it and deceiving yourself. Like I mentioned, there is a second possible motive here. There are those who are, are just more careful hypocrites who don't give or pray or fast in a very open or ostentatious manner. They practice their righteousness, righteousness in secret, but while they do, they secretly applaud themselves for such things. And that's why Jesus says in verse three that you're not even to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, we're not supposed to, to tell others, obviously, about our almsgiving but here, in a sense, Jesus is saying we're not even supposed to tell ourselves. 
Okay, so now don't take this so literally that, that you think it means you just you, you blindly, you know, reach into your wallet and you just grab whatever you can without looking and just throw it into the collection plate or you, you blindly write a check, whatever that means. Now that's, that's not what he's saying or that makes no sense. I think what Jesus means here is that you just give generously to the needy and then forget about it. Don't dwell on your generosity. A Christian's practice of righteousness should be characterized by a, by a healthy sense of self-forgetfulness. When you, where, you, where you give generously, others never know about it, and you yourself eventually forget about it. But God, who sees in secret, never forgets. And one day you're going to stand before him, and he'll applause. And he will approve and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Friends, is that what you seek? Do you seek to hear those words? If all you seek is the applause and the approval of man, well, Jesus says you're going to get it. Yeah, you will get it. In each scenario, Jesus says the Pharisees have received what they were after. Look at verse 2 again. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. That word there for receive is a very particular term. It's a technical term in Greek used within commercial transactions. It would have been stamped on, a, on, a, on someone's account saying that they have been paid in full. It has been received. Jesus' point is that if you want people to see you as spiritual, you will. You will receive that approval from man. Do your acts of righteousness for all to see, and they will think you are such a spiritual person. You'll get their applause, you'll get their approval, but that's it. That's all. You, you, there's nothing more coming. There's no reward waiting for you on that last day. But according to Jesus, a reward a reward from God himself is what you should be seeking. He mentions heavenly rewards various times. Verse 1, verse 4, verse 6, verse 18, he speaks of heavenly rewards. He also later on in verse 20 speaks of storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. And so Jesus is definitely presenting rewards as a motivator for our acts of righteousness. Now, I, I, I totally get it if that doesn't sit right with you. If you feel like that would spoil the very act of giving or, 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 or fasting or, or praying. Well, you know, it really depends, though, on what kind of reward you're expecting. If you give to the needy because you're hoping that God is going to see that and repay you with greater material blessing, if you're just after more treasures on earth, well then of course that's going to spoil the very act of giving. The same would apply if you pray or if you fast with a very mechanistic attitude trying to manipulate God to grant your particular request. If that, if, if, if what you're after is just some gift and not the giver himself, well, then Jesus would agree that that is not the proper motivation. That is not what he had in mind when he spoke of rewards. But 
if you're doing your acts of righteousness out of a desire to please your heavenly Father because you want him to watch and to smile and to applause, well, then that's good. That's exactly what my daughter wants when she tells me to watch her jump or to skip or to dance. It's not because she wants money. It's not because she hopes that if she does a really good job, I'm going to give her an even bigger Christmas present. No, it's because she loves me and she loves my attention and my approval that I give to her as her father. And that is a good thing. And that should be motivating you if God is your father. I want to be very clear here. You can give like a Christian. You can pray like a Christian. You can fast like a Christian, but none of that makes you a Christian. A Christian, my friends, is a sinner who has received Jesus, who believes in him as the one who died on a cross for our sins, who rose again to give us new life, to give us a new birth. A Christian is the one who has received the right to become a child of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You're not a Christian until you've been converted and adopted into the family of God, where you now give and pray and fast and worship and serve and disciple and outreach, and you do all of that out of a childlike faith that seeks to please your Father in heaven. That's what a Christian is. Now, I know we've gone into a lot of depth just into this first scenario, because really the motivating principles for giving would also apply to praying and fasting. And so now we're going to work through the, uh, the other two scenarios more quickly. So, so let's look at Jesus' second point. This is when you pray. When you pray, don't make a show of it. Just pray. Look at, look at verse 5. Let me read to you. Verse 5 and 6 again. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, the improper motivation is, is not wanting to be seen. It's just wanting to be seen by others as opposed to your Father in heaven. So Jesus' recommendation here is to go into your room, shut the door, and pray in secret where only God can see. Now, before we consider the wisdom in that, let's clarify that, that Jesus is not opposed to you praying in public. There are times, even in the Gospels, where Jesus publicly prayed purposely praying in the earshot of others. You know, in that account of him raising Lazarus uh, there in, in John chapter 11, Jesus prays saying this, listen, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So there, he outright says, that he is praying out loud for others that it might strengthen their faith, that they might believe. 
That, my friends, should be your very motivation when you are praying with other people in public. If you're doing it because you care for others and you're trying to build up their faith through prayer, that is good. But if your real motive is just to build up for yourself a reputation of a caring person who likes to pray a lot, well, then that's the very problem Jesus is trying to identify. So hear this. There's nothing wrong in itself with enjoying the opportunity to pray with others or to pray for others in pairs or in groups. The problem would be if that's really the only time you ever pray. That would probably be the problem. Do you have a private prayer life? That's why Jesus says the best way to test your motives is to consider what you do in private, what you do in secret. What do you do when you're in your room and the door is shut? If you can spend an hour in prayer and not tell a soul where no one knows what you're doing, where no one knows that you have been on your knees praying for them, if you can do that in secret, well, then you have a better sense of what's motivating your prayer life. But instead, if your instinct is to immediately inform that person, hey, I was praying for you, or to tweet about it, or to make a status update on Facebook, well, that's a problem. Can you do acts of righteousness without ever telling a soul? And how much, really, is your faith experienced in that way, in complete privacy? Is all of your acts of righteousness always being done in front of other people? Now, you know, I don't think the answer of of how much is completely private, it should never be 100%. Right? You can't have a completely private faith. Otherwise, there's no way you can function as salt of the earth or as light of the world, where Jesus you know, wants you to, to live out your faith in such a way that others can see your good work and good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So he said that earlier in chapter 5. But here, Jesus' concern is for the disciple who lacks a private devotional life who lacks a personal relationship with God, where the reward of of prayer is simply the sweet communion you enjoy with your Heavenly Father privately. Now, in verse 7, Jesus goes on to warn against treating prayer like some sort of magical incantation where you just heap up a a whole bunch of words, empty phrases, hoping that somehow it's going to turn God's hand to give you exactly what you want. But he says in verse 8, God's children... They should not pray like that. Why? For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He already knows what you need. He also knows what you want, but more importantly, he knows what you need, and often those two are not the same thing. So I know maybe maybe right now you're disappointed You're disillusioned with God because he doesn't seem to be granting you what you want. But think about it. Could you imagine how terrible it would be if God actually gave us everything we wanted in prayer? I mean, parents, just think about your own children. What would would be the outcome if you give your children everything they want? 
They would probably be in the hospital. And you would probably be in jail. That's why we prioritize our kids' needs over their wants. And that makes complete sense to us when it comes to parenting. But then when it comes to our relationship with God, somehow we seem to forget. But here we are reminded that we have an all-seeing, all-knowing, all-loving Father in heaven who will meet our every need. He will give us our daily bread. He will accomplish his will on earth as it is in heaven in order to hollow his name. That's what we need. We need to see him hollow his name in our lives. And you can be sure that he's going to do that as you pray for it. Lastly, lastly, Jesus moves on in verse 16 to the third scenario. And his point here is when you fast, don't make a big deal of it. Just fast. Look at verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, uh, the Pharisees were known back then to fast at least twice a week. John the Baptist's disciples regularly fast, fasted. And um, I would argue that Jesus does still expect his followers to fast as much as he expects them to give or to pray. Because, I mean, there's really no instructions as to the frequency of how regularly you should be doing it. But look in verse 16. He does assume that you do it when you fast. Now, nowadays, I, I know, you know, we take that idea of fasting and we speak of fasting from Netflix or from using your smartphone or from eating meat or drinking soda. But, you know, the, the biblical concept of, of fasting is a, a voluntary absence from food uh, for a designated period of time. Even if it's just for one meal, that's still a fast. And I know some people um, feel like they can't really participate in fasting because of some health reasons. Well, there's different ways that you can be able to still participate in Christian fasting. Some call it a partial fast where, where you, you know, make sure that whatever um, amount of, of food you need for whatever health reasons, you still, you know, the, the most minimal amount of calorie intake, or if it's just, you know, just rice or just bread, whatever it is, if there's a genuine health reason. But you can still feel the pains of hunger. So don't just because, you know, whatever medical condition you have think that this doesn't apply to you. I think Christians are all being called in some way, shape, or form to fast. Now, the, the Pharisees, apparently, they made a very, very big deal when they would fast. They, they would disfigure their faces. Maybe they, they, they would smear ash all over the, their face. They would you know, personally neglect their hygiene, uh, neglect their personal hygiene in order to show everyone how much pain they're in as they fast. And you know, they want you to know that they're suffering. Well, Jesus says, don't do that. Don't, don't draw any extra attention to yourself. Go and brush your hair, you know, wash your face so as not to make it obvious. Because really, who are you doing it for and why? Again, it's all about testing our motives. There are a lot of bad reasons to fast. 
but there's also a lot of good biblical reasons. So if you're doing it, you know, to impress other people, to come across as, as, as spiritual, then obviously, you know, those are bad motives. The same goes if, if really your idea of fasting is just a spiritualized form of dieting, right? You're just baptizing the idea of, of, of dieting and calling it a fast. No, what, that, 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 those are, should not be the reasons you do it. What then are good biblical reasons? Well, in the Bible, we see people fasting to express godly sorrow over sin. To express godly sorrow over sin. When Nehemiah called the Israelites to corporately grieve and confess their sins, he also called for a fast. Or the people of Nineveh, remember that? When they fasted as an expression of their repentance after hearing Jonah's warning that God's judgment is coming. So some Christians fast not as a form of self-inflicted punishment for your own sin, but as a way to grieve your own sin, as a way to show your repentance to God. That's a solid biblical reason to fast. If you're going through a period of, of, of repentance and confession before God, you've been convicted by a sin in your life and you, in your prayer life before God, your devotional life, you are expressing the repentance through fasting. That's good. We also see in Scripture people tying their fasting with prayer, especially when they're faced with a special task or, or, or a big decision. So, you know, before Esther dared to approach the king unannounced, she asked for all of her fellow Jews to pray and to fast on her behalf. Jesus, of course, began his public ministry by fasting and praying for 40 days in the wilderness. The, the church of Antioch, they fasted and they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas before they sent them off on their first missionary journey. And, and before Paul and Barnabas anoint, uh, appointed elders in all of the churches that they had planted, it says that they fasted and prayed before that. So there's a solid pattern here of fasting when you are seeking God in prayer through unique trials or, or times of decision. Now, be careful though. If you think that by putting yourself through the misery of hunger, that somehow is going to increase the likelihood of God answering the prayer in the way that you want, well, then you're badly mistaken and you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But if you fast because you plan to dedicate that hour or hours that you would have spent eating a meal to the task of, of praying, or if you let your hunger pains throughout the day serve as a, as a reminder to stop where you are and to pray, well then, yeah, you're fasting for good biblical reasons. If you're basically training your soul to hunger for prayer as much as you hunger for food, well then you've got the right motives here. That's why a Christian would fast. So, friends, what's motivating you to fast, or to pray, or to give to the needy? Or, for some of you, the better question is, what's preventing you from doing those very things? I want to issue a challenge. I want to end with this. Will you dedicate some time this week to fast from at least one meal? Ideally, three meals in a row. But at least one. 
and dedicate those meal times to Bible reading and prayer. Intentional, private prayer. And then take the money that you would have spent on food for those meals and donate it to a charitable organization that's helping the poor. And here's the real challenge. See if you can do all of that without ever telling a soul. Don't update me. Don't let me know that you did it. Don't tell your small group members, hey, I did the application that the preacher said. Just do it and never tell a soul. Do it in complete secret and just let your heavenly father who sees in secret give you his applause. Let me pray for you. Father, please help us. Oh, Lord, the temptation to hypocrisy is so close to each and every one of us. We need you, oh, Lord, your grace to give us self-awareness, to know our own hearts, to know our own motives. Lord, purify them that we do all that we do ultimately for you, for your eyes. Lord, help us. Help us to Practice our righteousness even this week in such a way that we do it in secret. We do it for you. In Jesus' name, amen.